you can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy talking all about making Mortal Urukai work. This is the second in my series of making blank work. The first one was about Dunland, and it happened as a response to a tournament where I basically overachieved with Dunland and found a way to make them somewhat successful and, and did really good there. I have put it out to the listeners to suggest some other armies that could have the making blank work treatment. And I got lots of good suggestions. I was really happy with the suggestions, actually. So I'm probably going to go ahead and, and deal with all of them. Some of them I'm not quite ready for yet. I still need to play some more games. I've got a little bit of theory happening in these episodes, but I need to have some sort of basis for what I'm doing. It's maybe a transferable army, maybe something similar, similar situations. So I've, I've gone for ones that I know what I'm talking about. So the first suggestion was from Green Dragon's own Matt was about doing a pure Mortal Urukai list and how to make that work and this is a tricky one it's one that though i have had some experience with and i have been reasonably pleased with my success with it and it is one of my armies that i enjoy playing with i tend to use it as a bit of a demo army because it's pretty straightforward and someone who plays well can play against it and it also means that i'm not really optimizing my build but i do think it can be competitive and with with enough knowledge of the game and the right skill set, you should be able to get some victories out of the Mortal Urukai list. So, because this is going to be a recurring episode structure, um, I'm just going to still call it main episodes, and I'm not going to add another another new name for it, I think, but I will go for a more solid structure for these episodes. So, to start with, I'm going to talk about the background for the Mortal Urukai and who, who they were, a little bit of that. Then I'll go into why you would want to choose this army. Then I'll talk about some general tactics so how to play the game, your ideal game with this army, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like. No, no, I won't do that. That's a bit of a worry of Wargamers. And I'm going to talk about list ideas, possible allies, so what you'd want to do to it, um, any proxies and things like that as well at that point, because sometimes the lists don't really work on their own and you need to do something clever with them. And then also some change, some changes, what I would like to see with the list in the future, what I'd like to see, where I'd like to see them going, would I have written the rules any differently do I know better than the writers? Probably not. But I'm going to have a go at it anyway, just for interest. Basically, my desire is always to have all themed armies competitive, playable, but not ridiculous. Not one that doesn't take any skill to win with. So that's my aim. And I've got some suggestions based on experience. Some of it will be based on theorizing, but I'll try to mix it in, ground it with theory, not theory, with reality wherever possible. So on to the background of the Mordor Urukai. The Mordorukai were briefly mentioned in the books, not a huge amount, but the main time we saw them was in Kirith Ungul in the Return of the King book and the movie. In both the books and the movie, Shagrat was the leader of the, or well, captain of the Urukai in Kirith Ungul. In the books, it seems like Gorbag was another Uruk, but in the movies, he was definitely an Orc. So in the game, they've gone for the movie adaptation, which I don't mind, and he's an Orc. So we've basically got Shagrat leading the Urukai, and they steal the mithril coat, they try and find Frodo, and they ultimately get scared off by by Sam being a big scary monster. Now, 
you may think that Urukai are an Isengard Sauron type invention, but the Mortar Urukai or Black Uruks have been around for probably a thousand years before before that. So they were mid third age introduced. And they're also mentioned occasionally in like Moria and some other places. So you can hear them around. They you don't see a huge amount of them. They're basically just a tough orc. So we've got them in the game. We've had them since basically early on in the game, since the Return of the King edition. We've had some fantastic models. There was originally three metal models that that came with the well, that was released with the Return of the King, and then we got a second pack later on, which I believe are both still available. In addition, we've also got the captain Shagrat and the Shagrat War Leader captain, and we've also got the mythic fourth Urukai pose, which was an originally designed pose early on. Some people got their hands on it. They had an issue, as far as I'm aware, with the casting. So this model, they they discontinued for that reason. It, they couldn't get the mold right, which is very different policy than, say, the, the fine cast years when that first came out, when it was the mold wasn't right, we'll just release it anyway. But either way, they that model's pretty rare. Some people have it. You know, it goes for a fortune at the moment if you want to pick one up. Personally, I don't have one. I... I, I I'm reasonably a completionist. I've got most of the stuff, but I'm not the the unreleased models. I think are just out of my price range. I'd rather spend that on getting ridiculous amount of Merkwood elves. So the nice thing about the Black Uruks or the Mortar Urukai is that you can play them pretty much any time in Third Age. So you might even be able to get them against some of the earlier Third Age things, like the um, the Kirin and Earl army, for example, or uh, the Arnor, or any of those ones that happened just before. You can fudge that a little bit. The mention we got was that they were quite a while before that, but it, they could be even before that. You might even theorize that they were around in the Second Age as well. I don't see why they couldn't be, but that's that's something that I think they were a Third Age creation, and then Saruman really got into them and, and created his own breed of the Urukai as well. So Black Uruks in the book, the Mortar Urukai in the game, basically they're clones of the Isengard Scouts. So now we move on to why would you collect this army? Well, I sort of touched on it beforehand where you can play it against a lot of different good armies or a lot of different evil armies, I guess. It's one of the few evil armies that's mentioned fighting another evil army. So from a theme point of view, it really does fit against all other armies. But the reason I think that I personally would like to play with it is it's something different. It's something you don't really see. Even though Mordor is one of the most popular lists around, the Mordor Urukai don't often get a go. They're often left out because there are very attractive options in the Mordor list. And then to see a pure Mordor Urukai army is really quite rare. Now, you've got a you got it from Kirith Ungle. So you've got a Kirith Ungle base themed. So what I've done as well in this, this review of the Mordor Urukai is included a couple of the Kirith Ungle type models as well. I'm... The orcs are the obvious choice, the Gorbad led orcs, but I'm avoiding that because that makes it a pretty simple option, I think. So, why would you collect it? From a game point of view, you've got some reasonably good heroes. Uh, Shagrat's pretty good. You've got very good troops overall. The Mortar Rakai are good troops. Fight four, strength four, good courage, courage three. That's nothing to, to, to bag out. It's pretty good. You do have the notable absence of the spears. Again, same as the Dunlin, the real problem there. But you've got a good, reliable troop to start with at a reasonable points cost. 
You've also got some really nice models, and you can, if you're clever, you can use the Isengard Scout models as your Akai. Maybe just shave off a bit of the helmet if you want. You don't even have to do that. Give them a different color paint job, make them some blacks and some reds or whatever you want to do for your Mordor army, and change it up. And you've got the models available. That really does bring the range out quite a bit. So that that's very helpful. I guess some people have proxied the Urukai Scout captains from Isengard as Mordor Urukais as well. I'm going to avoid that in this list. It can be done, but I'm just going to avoid it because I feel that that's a bit of an easy way out. And I feel like I'm then suddenly doing an Isengard Scout army review as well, which might happen in the future. But for now, I'm going to leave that there. So the strengths is basically you've got a unique army. I do think it's a playable army. I really enjoy playing with it. I've played with it quite a bit. It's got a surprising amount of numbers. You've got a good amount of options, but you're also restricted enough that you feel like your force is is one force. You can recognize it. Now, at this point, I want to go for go over in a bit of detail all the units in the list. So strap yourself in. It's going to be a bit of a number crunching type type talk. I, I want to go over the the profiles and talk about what options I will include in this in this episode. Let's go through the list options for the Mordor Urukai. First of all, you've got two profiles for Shagrat, the captain of Kirithungul, so and also the war leader of Kirithungul. Now, if you're taking a Mordor Urukai army, you're probably taking a Shagrat. There's really no reason not to. The basic Shagrat, which is actually my favorite one, has uh, the captain profiles. So he's a move of six inches, fight five, which is really good. Four plus shoot value, he's not going to use that at all. Strength five, good. Defense five, that's pretty average. Attacks 2, Wounds 2, Courage 4, or Average. Courage 4 is not bad for an evil army. And then 3 Might, 1 Will, 1 Fate, for a bargain price of 55 points, and an option of a shield for 5 points, also a bargain as well. So you've got a good Captain Leader model, very, very basic, very low level, but a good one, and it can be used at low points as well. So this guy is probably going to turn up quite a bit. The model itself is quite nice, got a Mithril Coat. If you wanted to chop that off and put a shield on, that looks good as well. Then you've also got the War Leader. So this is a more recent profile. I don't actually like this model as much as the other one, but I feel it could be done in an alright way. He's 110 points, so he's double the points straight out. Uh, not double if you take the shield on the other one, but still quite really high points. He's got the same movement, the same fight, the same strength. Defense of 7 instead of 5, so that, that does make a difference. Attacks 3, wounds 3, same courage. Extra attack and extra wound is good. They're good stats. Might 3, will 3, fate 3. So the main difference there is the extra will and extra fate, which may or may not be used depending on what's happening. So overall, the profile for double the points is doesn't feel that good to me overall. Like The extra attack is good. Don't get me wrong. Attacks are worth their weight in gold. Defense is also good. Uh, it's a bit forgiving. But the real reason you're going for this war lead of Kirith Ungle is he's got the shield of Kirith Ungle. So the shield of Kirith Ungle means that any turn that he charges, Shagrat gains a knock-to-the-ground special rule exactly as if he was a cavalry model. So he gets a knockdown, which means he's much more reliable at killing models. In reality, this means that he's probably going against maybe one model, maybe two, knocks them down, then gets to attack them, has a good chance of killing them. So that itself is pretty good. I don't mind that. Both these models don't have the hand weapon listed. So you assume they've got a sword, but you could also turn it into an axe if you wanted to, to optimize, or you could turn it into... a a club, or you could turn it into a flail if you want it to be stupid. And maybe that will change in the new rule set. But for, for say, the, the basic Captain of Kirith Ungle one, you'd be hard-pressed to go past a, a piercing weapon, so like a pick or something, if you had the choice. 
the Shagrat model, the the war leader, has the the cleaver. So you're probably counting that as a fainting weapon, but that's very little use for him for two reasons. Firstly, he's got fight five, so you don't want to lower that. Fight five is the point where fight gets good. Uh, I wish he was a little bit more. He would be even better. If he was fight six, he would be really scary and and would definitely come up in, in all my lists. But the fight five is still pretty good. You don't really want to lower that. And the re-rolling ones to wound that you get with a fate currently, if you're going to use the test army list bonus rules, you might not get much use out of that. But I'll go on to that very... Well, I'll go out to the end of the units. So pick your, pick your Shagrat, basically. Uh, the, the, in reality, what it means is you usually get either cheap Shagrat and a friend, or you get Shagrat War Leader. So he's only one spot. He does more damage, but he doesn't increase your might. Is the biggest problem. I feel like the three might on the normal Shagrat is value. Now, then you have the basic profile. So this is the one that's going to turn up. This is your, your go-to captain. Feels like the same as Shagrat, with the exception that only two might for five points less. So, really not much difference there. So, you're not losing a lot by taking a basic Mordor Rukai Captain. Strength 5, Fight 5 is good. That's a really good level Captain. It means this Captain can do the fighting. Carriage 4 with a point of will is enough that he'll keep the troops in line. But you've also got some options here. And you've got the Orc Bow option, which is good because he's got a shoot value of 4+. plus. You've got the Shield option, once again, a very good option. Shields are really good in that, not just the defense bonus, but to be able to double your attacks on a Fight 5 Captain means that that guy can go into a bunch of troops that are less than fight five and just hold them up. And that's that's a good option for the captain as well, especially for some of the tactics they'll go through. But he's also got the two-handed weapon option, which I feel is a good option for the Mordor Urukai captain, because with the strength five, two-handed weapon, you make it a two-handed axe, for example, suddenly even Ents or Eagles, uh, anything with really high defense is woundable. And they, they find these guys a little bit scary. You come up against a, an enemy smog or something, you've got a chance to go at them. And for five points, it's really good insurance. So I don't mind this option. You can do without it, especially if you just put a put a axe on the guy itself. But that's up to you. There's no official models for this this one. Uh, you can use the Isengard ones and convert them up. In the book, they've got a picture of just the generic metal Urukai troop as a captain. So I guess you could use that as well, especially if you're using the plastics as the main troops. But whatever you like for it, uh, you want somewhere to stand them out because they, they can blend in quite a bit. Now, your troop options will go straight to the Warriors because these guys are going to be your staple. You've got the Mordor Urukai, which are Urukai. For eight points, you get a basic move six, fight four, four plus. Strength four, defense four, attacks one, wounds one, courage three. So you've got a good profile. Fight four is good. Fight four, once it gets to fight four, it's good. It means that elves still beat you, and you're pretty useless against elves in terms of the fight bonus. But against most troops, you're either equal or beating them. Strength 4 is good. It means that, that those defense 6 models aren't really a worry at all. It means that things like horses are easy to take down. Uh, even, even the defense 8 models are doable. And the Courage 3 is the underrated stat here as well. Courage 3 is at a point where the Courage is starts to get reliable. You start to be able to know that Okay, half you guys are sit around for break tests. Half you guys will be able to charge this monster. And that itself is really good instead of the Courage 2 that you often get with Mordor. But you get some options as well. And these are pretty good options. Not amazing options, but pretty good. A banner is a pretty good option. Banner for 25, that's standard, that's good. It's a little bit better in terms of you're giving the rerolls to fight 4 models instead of just the normal fight 3s. So that's good. But then that's how banners work. 
Orkbo. Orkbo is good. The only issue with the Orkbo really is the range, I believe. But other than that, it's a, it's a good shooting weapon. And with a, a 4 plus to shoot value, that's fine. You get a shield, which is a good option as well. Uh, Defense 5 is okay, but once again, the shielding is fantastic. Being able to get an extra attack, so doubling your attacks means you're much more likely to survive if you want to. And a two-handed weapon. Two-handed weapon for one point is a bit of a rip-off, but it's okay. I come with the, the mace. So this is, a, I believe, a, a bash attack, which is an interesting choice because they're strong enough that the bash attack could do some damage. It's especially worrying for, for cavalry models or monstrous cavalry models. So I don't mind the, the two-handed club. If you can optimize, you might turn it into an axe, but I don't mind it. And the models themselves look really good. So you take some of these because the models are good, and you you will use them. Now, in addition, here's some options you could add into the list. Now, if you wanted to, which I'm not going to do, but if you wanted to, Gorbag is a good choice. Gorbag was around in Kirithangul. There's no reason you couldn't take him for the theme. Now, Gorbag is an all captain, pretty much standard, but he's got the three might. He's also got a shield option. For, for a pretty cheap price, and he could take Orcs as well. So this is the standard way of playing this list. If you want to play it normally, you basically take it as a horde with lots of Orcs, the Mordor Urukai front rank, and you're okay. They cover the weaknesses. That's right. But Matt's request was a pure Mordor Urukai list, so I'm going to stick with that. Now, the other resident of Kirith Angul, which is named after, is Shelob. Shelob is a good model. I've talked about Shelob before. I really like Shelob in terms of when I play her. I really hate Shelob when I play against her. She can make this list just shine. So she, she can fight on her own because she can just sit in. She's got the movement rules. She's got incredible stats, except for one, of course. Uh, she's got a move of 10, which is great. A fight of 7, which is good. That's the high fight you need. You've got a strength of 7, great. Defense of 7, really tough. Attacks 1, that's the worry. But we can get around that a little bit. Wounds, six, great. Courage, four, pretty good. And then will, six, so that takes care of that courage. She can be killed off early on because every time she takes a wound, she's got to take a courage test. So you don't want to be taking wounds, but she can stay as well. She might stay for two, three wounds usually. Pounce, when she charges, she counts as a monstrous mount. So gets the attack bonus, that's really good. And then she gets the, the knock to the ground as well, which is really good as well. She's also got the, the venom, which is rerolls to wound. So she's... Great. She's a monster. So monsters can do things like Hurl, which is really handy. They can do things like Barge, which is really lethal on something like Shelob. So she can go, she can win a fight against just a normal model that's trying to hold her up, barge it away, and then go charge a hero and take it down. So that that can be quite dangerous. If you get a banner nearby or a friend nearby, she becomes really lethal. And in higher points, she will become, I know this is a Mortar or a Kylist, but this is the list that can take Sheila, but this is the theme list, the, the one, the one and only list that takes Sheila as a theme. So you take it, you take her. So far, there's one notable exception, well, more than one notable exception to what I've included in the list. I have not included any Blackguard of Baradur. Now, these are elite Urukai that have been, I think, believe they've been made up by Games Workshop. Maybe they'll mention the books as well. But you've got a few options here that I don't really think fit my Kirith Angul theme that I'm going for, but they do fit into an Urukai army if you want them, and they have some nice benefits as well. So just to go through these models very quickly, we have the Captain of the Black Guard, which is an Urukai with basic Urukai Captain profile, but with a defense of 7, so that's a really good defense value. And a special rule where 
If there's a ring wraith or Sauron alive and on the battlefield, the captain of the Black Guard is treated as being Courage 6. Ooh, interesting, Sauron. So this Games Workshop has decided that the Uruks are around and Sauron is around as well, which was Second Age. So I guess I was right early on. Now the points value 60, pretty good captain. There's also the drummer for 45 points. So this is an interesting option. The war drum is a good option. It's it's not an amazing option, but if you play a lot of scenarios where movement is paramount, it can be really valuable as well. It helps the, the Urukai move fast, and you get a, a basic... Oh, it's essentially a, a warrior that's been upgraded a bit. So your strength 5 is good. You, your courage of 4 is good, but it's only one fate and only one wound. So you get a model that for 45 points is a little bit expensive, but it means that you can really move fast when you want to, and that can be can be incredibly valuable so it's definitely a good option to choose from i don't tend to take the drums because i find that in the current scenarios a lot of it's start in the middle stay in the middle type games you don't need that extra movement but playing that skirmish force it can definitely help you out a lot you've also got the blackguard of baradu warriors and these are the urukai they're 12 points so it's significant bump but what you get for that bump is good value you get an extra point of strength and defense so strength five defense six and these are really nice numbers meaning that these models can really do some damage. They come with the shield as well, and they can have a banner as well. So you've got some very good options for these models. They're, they're definitely usable. They're not ones that you have to take, but I do think they're quite good. I would take them more in a standard model list or an open war model list rather than the Kirith list, but they're definitely you can easily substitute them into this list Now, the other one I don't mind is the Ringwraiths. Ringwraiths can pretty much lead any mortar army, and they they you get lots of choices. There are a few that, that I would choose if I was going for this list. First one would be the Basic Wraith. So a Basic Wraith, you can put it on foot, you can put it on horse, you can put it on fell beast, you can do whatever you like with it. It's a nice substitute for the captain. It can lead the mortar or a Kai, so that's not a problem. There's also two of the named Wraiths that I would really consider, and I'll give the reasons why. Firstly... The Dark Marshal is a really good option for this list because you don't have the access to spears. He has the rule through fear rule. So all enemy warriors, not heroes, within six inches of the Dark Marshal, so that's a long way away, count as being in range of a banner. That's really helpful. It doesn't help your heroes, which can be a bit annoying because your heroes want the reroll. doesn't help Shelob, but it does help your basic warriors. So he's pretty good, although I think some of his spells are a bit lower... No, I lie. His spells are all normal. So he's a good spellcaster, the Dark Marshal, but also has that extra rule. Then the other one that I would consider is the Shadow Lord, believe it or not. This is probably my least favorite in terms of models, but the effect it does is really good for a list that you're going to try a little sneaky tactic to get some, some value out of it. It's got the Pole of Darkness rule, so shots against the Shadow Lord and any model within six inches of him only hit on a roll of a six. Now, that includes good models, so if you're shooting models close by, you can you only hit on the roll of a six, which can be a worry if you're really close, but that's really useful. It means it's going to force the enemy to come at you because they're not going to get good value of shooting, and it also affects the Shadow Lord, so you can't do that cheeky kill the Wraith. Now, the Wraith's Fell Beast is such a good option that it's hard to go past it, but it's expensive, so horses are good. Armored horses are good. Um, I would never take a, a, a named Wraith without a some sort of mount. I could take the budget race without one if the job is literally just there to cast five spells and give a couple points of might and courage tests. But everyone else I would consider giving the mount to. Even the basic ones, I, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't. But then again, if it's a Kirith Ungle themed 
you might choose a basic one in the tower. So that's that's up to you. Some of my ideas include that. Not all of them initially. Not all of them initially. Ringwraith is definitely a good option for most armies, but it's one that you don't have to have. It's, it's okay without it, especially with the current rules where you can use might to increase your fight value. It's not as necessary as it used to be. Okay, now my tactics for the Mordor Urukai. The ideal game, the winning game, the winning tactics for the Mordor Urukai. A Mordor Urukai win involves you spreading out and forcing the enemy to take you out on a big open area. Now, you feel like oftentimes an army like this would be fighting in tunnels and passages and, and stairways, so they would be okay in small areas, but they're not. They don't actually like to fight in confined areas. The only model that really does is Shelob. Shelob loves it, but no one else does. So you want to fight in an open area. And the reason you want to fight in an open area is because you can attack the flanks. You don't have the extra attack for spears. So in the middle of the line, you're either going to be using shielding or a banner or both or just dying or maybe some captains. But you really want to take advantage of the flanks because spears don't work on the flanks really because you can start getting multiple models in they can't guard them, and then you start munching up the flanks, hopefully with a hero, maybe some troopers, maybe a shelob, and away you go. So you want to be able to force the enemy out of the terrain into an open area. Now, if I'm playing against the Mortar or a Kai army, I'm going to hug the terrain. I'm going to make little bottlenecks. I'm going to put my banner and a spin behind the bottleneck, wait for them to come up me, and then crush them, and then kill them because their defense isn't great. So as a Mordor or a Kai player, you need to draw the enemy out. They have to come out. You have to bring them out somehow. So there's a couple ways you can do this. The first one is a pretty obvious one, is to send Shelob in terrain and just go fish anyone out who jumps in terrain. That's a good option, but it only works in one area of the battlefield, and you can get baited away pretty easily, or maybe even killed if there's a captain around and a bunch of friends. So that's only reliable in a certain area. There's only one Shelob, but... The other option is to use your actually pretty good archery to go and, and threaten the enemy enough that they'll come at you. And that's what I do. I play this as an avoidance army. So it's almost the evil version of Wood Elves, essentially. You sneak there, you, you take your bow shots. They're not that effective because they're 18-inch range. But with the 4 plus to hit, you can do enough damage. What I do is I make sure I target models that are about defense 4 or 6 and hopefully defense four, defense six if, I, if I'm desperate, and just try and kill as many models with their shooting as possible. Or it'll probably only be a few. Like, let's be honest, I might kill three models. But that's usually enough to scare the opponent into coming at me, especially if I've got, like I said before, the Shadow Lord or someone like that stopping the archery back. It might mean that the enemy sees me and says, well, look, they're defense five or four. I'm going to run at them and try and kill them. And that's where you can control the game because you've got to draw the enemy out into an open area and then use your numbers, which hopefully you have because you're shooting their, their basic troops, which is different from how I normally play shooting. Normally I play shooting, I go for the, the most value target that I can. So the enemy leader, heroes, banner models, just to, to get them moving around, monsters, anything like that, you go forward to shoot because you get some bang for your buck. But in this case, I want to reduce the models down so that I can have a number advantage. If you're using the new experimental rules for armless bonus, that's really good because if the Mordor army has the number bonus, they get 
two effects. One is they get to reroll ones when striking, so basically they count as fainting even when they're not, which is good for this army because you want to maintain your fight four. Fight four is good. You don't want to lose it if you don't have to. So it means one-on-one -on -one you're getting that faint rule when you don't have to pay the penalty for it. That doesn't make a huge difference, although it will help with the two-handed axes, definitely. But the part that I like, which is probably not rated as much by others, is the one-plus courage. Suddenly you have courage five heroes. That is really good. Really good. But that's, that's almost ring race level. Then you have courage four basic troops. Also really good. That's the dwarf level. That's, that's fantastic. That's the kind of courage you want to have. So to have one plus courage just for outnumbering, which if you're going to do, you, you, you need to outnumber to win the game, basically. That's really helpful. Now, in terms of how you get to that, that outnumbering, how you, you, you do things, you've got to make sure you get so much out of your heroes. They are your combat models. You might lose them. That, that happens at times. Don't lose them cheaply. Uh, if I'm playing against them, I'm trying to kill them cheaply. Hide them in a bunch of Urukai, but get them to do most of the fighting. Don't fight unnecessary fights if you don't have to with your basic troops. So this is a kind of army that you like to charge in last when you've lost priority and basically send a couple heroes in with a banner behind them and then use your other models to block off their flanks. Don't commit too many combats because you will lose a lot of models. You want to have the advantage there. Your heroes are good. Don't be afraid to use their might for heroic combats to get them to have extra combats. That's where being on the flanks really helpful because you can get two friends in there or maybe a big spider friend and then call a heroic combat, charge in, get maximum value there and really disrupt. Something like a shield fantastic as part of a heroic combat because you go kill a model, move on, and then you can start doing the disruption type moves like a hurl or something else afterwards, which can be very, very nasty. Uh, the hurl, especially in this army, is really helpful because your defense doesn't make a difference at all if the model's on the ground. Now, you've got lots of hand weapon choices. The obvious ones is the piercing. I know it's it's the obvious one for everyone. It's, it's better than the other rules. It is. Uh, the fainting one, especially the new mortal rules, don't even bother with really if you don't have to. The piercing one is the way to go. And basically when you use this, you use it when you think you're going to win the fight. So that means when you either have uh, equal number of attacks and better fight or more attacks. Don't use it when you have less of those because it just means that you die quicker unless you're going to get something that's really high strength and then it's not going to make a difference at all. Basically, what piercing does is increases lethality on both sides. On both sides. So if you're going to win the fight more often than not, it's good for you. If you're going to lose the fight more often than not, it's bad for you. So use that when it's an advantage. Or if you're going to get something that's super high defense, just use it anyway, I guess. Because at that point, it's, it's going to help you more than it's going to hinder you. So usually those models have high strength as well. Like if you're going against an Ent, just, just pierce. That's the way to go. But if you're going against a basic warrior... I wouldn't bother unless I knew I was going to win the fight, and then I I had, didn't have the trap. On traps, look, traps win games. That, that's that's what we've been saying since, since day one. You've got to get the traps when you can. Once again, that's why I love attacking at the flanks. Love those flanks. So what that means is the way my formation is set out is I have a few models in the middle just holding the line, just just stopping the enemy and, and reducing the amount of fights where possible. So usually what I have is a mixture of shieldmen and bowmen, and they, the bowmen are really good at drawing the enemy towards them. I have a banner lurking around if possible, so they can get the advantage of that. Although the banner might be following Sheila around or might be following heroes around. You may have a shield captain there. They're really good in that they can hold up a couple models, just shield, and then, then let them take on four attacks against lower fight. Or you can use them as a bit of offense and try and break even as well. 
But you're holding the flank, the, sorry, not the flank, you're holding the middle with a light force and attacking the flank with strength and just basically rolling the enemy up, uh, caging them in, and then bringing your extra models because they can't do anything if they're sitting behind your lines doing nothing. You've got to bring them into combat, so you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep, whenever you have priority or whenever you call priority, keep moving models along the line. Don't keep attacking the same model. Slide around so you've got to, you can bring your numbers to bear. You want to encircle the enemy wherever possible in all different spots. You can circle the whole army in one spot. That's amazing. And then just crush them on themselves. And you can do that with this army. You get enough models that for a reasonable price that it is possible to do. Now, that said, it's not like the go-to tournament winning, you're going to win all the time army either. It takes a bit of work. It takes uh, a lot of a lot of patience in terms of like shooting to get the value out of it. And you've got to play fast because you've got to get lots of turns to make your shooting look threatening. Lots of turns. So make sure that you play fast. Move them. Know where you're going. Keep them moving. If they don't have a bow, they're moving at full speed no matter what really quickly. If they they have a bow, you're either standing still initially probably early on and then later on you're moving half speed, shooting and moving, just trying to threaten as much as you can. Now we're going to move on to some basic lists that you can make with this army. I've just chosen two points levels, relatively arbitrary. I've got 550, because we've got 550 tournaments coming up. And then I've also got 800 as well, because that seems to be our standard. Now at 550, I've chosen basically two lists. The first one is going for the Shagrat War Leader as the Jack of All Trades big hero. So he's got a warband of 12 Urukai with various weapons. It's got the banner in this one. It's got the banner on this one. I've gone for ex exact numbers don't really matter. I've gone for three shields, two two-handed weapons, and four bows. But you can mix and match how you like, depending on your deployment. Then there's two warbands with Mortar Urukai captains, both with Orc bow. You can change one of these for a two-handed weapon or a shield if you want. It's not that important to make it the bow, but I like the bow because it plays to that skirmish-type feel. Maximum Bowman, which I think is the way you go no matter what. Even if you don't plan to shoot, you still want to look like you can. And then just the rest of it into some shields, some two-handed weapons. Mix and match them how you like. That's not really a big deal. You end up with about 38 models in total for 550 points, which is a good number. I've run 800-point armies with that amount of models and, and had enough. So that's a good amount that hopefully you'll get your bonus for outnumbering if you can. If not, you just basically get lots of attacks in and you get to, to move around as much as you can. So I think that's a good army. But the one I prefer is one that's got four warbands. So the one that I would take personally, I've downgraded Shagrat. I know that the, the war leader is a good one, but I, I actually prefer the captain. I've got a captain with shield just to so he can't be easily taken out or he can defend himself if he gets surrounded. He's got a very similar warband. Only 11 models in his warband. He's got the banner. I've only gone for one banner. I would love to have more, but I've only gone for the one. It's a really hard choice to drop some warriors. 
It's still got the 38 models, but in this time, I've got three captains. So I've gone for one captain leading an 11 model warband with two-hand weapon. And then I've got two small warbands with an orc captain, oh, sorry, an orc captain, an Urukai captain with an orc bow. Orc bow's confusing me. And six mortal Urukai in each of them. So I've got two little skirmish bow warbands. Now my thought about this is, I can either deploy my bowmen first, have, if there's obvious fire lanes, put one in each fire lane, and then wait to see where the enemy sets up, and then put the bulk of my force nearby to support. Or, I can set up the, the bulk of my force a decent distance away, because I'm probably going to run away first turn, just spread out. And then put the bowmen wherever I'm going to maximize that as a bit of a trap where the enemy's going to be running to. So I can use my deployment there as an advantage. I, I, that's the list I prefer. I think that's a, that's a good amount of models at 550, actually. It's a little bit scary. And because you've got so much fight for, you've got a good chance of winning the combats. You've only got one banner, but the idea is your aim is to, to spread out, attack them in an open area, and then crush them onto each other so much that the banner starts to affect more of your fights. So... Interesting option. A lot of might, actually. Uh, three for Shagrat and then another six in total. So nine might is pretty good for, for this amount of models. I don't mind that army. Now, unfortunately, I didn't find space for Shelob at this point. It could easily drop a captain and, and some of the Mordor Rakai for Shelob at this point. I, I think that wouldn't be a bad option. That would be a pretty good option, actually. You could also sub out one of the captains for a little budget wraith if you wanted to. That would work if you if you know you go against a lot of trolls and things. It might be a good idea. But once again, I'm just going to rely on the strike and the captains and surrounding. Now at 800, I've got so much choice. It gets, just gets a bit silly. Uh, I've gone for one of them here with just the, the basic Shagrat captain. So this has got the, the light captain. So you, as you can imagine, it's probably a bit of a horde force. I've only gone for the one banner again. Put it with Shagrat. Uh first thing I'd probably do is consider dropping some Urukai for another banner, and I, I would actually really consider that straight off off the bat. But it's got a horde army. It's got five warbands of Urukai. So it's got uh, basically the the Shagrat with a shield, another captain with a shield, a captain with a two-handed weapon, and two captains of bows. The two bows have eight mortar Urukai orc bows in them, each of them. So an orc bow captain leading that, so a little nine bowmen in each of them, 18 bowmen. That's suddenly looking a bit threatening. And then I've got two, no, three, sorry, three 10 model warbands, sorry, not 10 model, 11 models, 10 warriors in that, which gives me some good amount of combat. These numbers are actually a little bit scary, but I've also got Shelob. So this army at 800 points, I've ended up with 52 units. Uh, it's a good amount. And once again, I'm not struggling with might. I've got Shagrat with three and then another four captains. So I'm looking at 11 points of might. I've got a big monster there that can help disrupt. I've got an army that's that's reasonably scary. I don't actually know if I have enough models for this one, actually. I might try it out and add a few more. I've got a big army, but I don't have. Don't think it's this big. This is definitely the Horde. Now, the other option I've got at 800 is to, to bring it down a little bit and just take the War Leader. So what that means is you basically drop one of the captains and then you put the War Leader in and you compress the amount of Mortar or Akai, which is what I normally play. Now, at this point, you can also do things like sub out Shelob and some friends or some captains for, for wraiths and things. It's definitely a good option. I tend not to do it. Uh, basically, I think Shelob's enough for it, but I can see the advantage totally. I don't mind the Shadow Lord. I don't mind the Dark Marshal. The Undying is such good value that he can add value to any list, and I think I have played the Undying with this list before, actually, just to make up some points. And yeah, you just <laughs> it's just good. It's the Undying. It's, he doesn't die. Uh, and then you can add in other things as well. 
if you wanted to in terms of allies. So we'll talk about allies now, I guess. From a from a gaming point of view, the Orcs would work. Orcs Spearmen would cut out a lot of your weaknesses. Uh, the Gorbag's another three points of might. Some people ally the Isengard Orcs, and I see the Isengard Shaman added to this army, which I'm not a big fan of. I find the courage is enough. And I don't really rate the the six plus save. I don't see where people get like I, I know people say well optimizing and, and you get better value out of it, but I really don't think you do. I'll prefer a captain over that, so I wouldn't bother with the shaman. I can see the Urukai scout captains are actually really good. So you could definitely take a warband of those. Something like Vrasku with the crossbow or Uglock's probably not as good with the courage rule, but I you can kill your own guys, so that's that's pretty helpful. Without the orcs, you don't get it's not as cheap, but still one guy for a guaranteed pass is really good. And the other ones, Lurtz. Lurtz isn't a fantastic model, so you're probably doing that just for the extra might. Uh, Merher is. Merher, Merher is a fantastic one. He's only got the two might, but he's got the movement eight, and he can take movement eight friends. So if I was going to ally, that's where I'd go, and then paint them slightly differently, have them as as somehow faster models, maybe lighter armoured, uh, and have them running around. That's That would be my choice if I was going to ally in Isengard. And... The other ally I want to talk about is one that's from the book. It's from a theme point of view. From a game break point of view, I think it could be really powerful. It's Moria Goblins. So having your Urukai as a small contingent of basically front rankers for the Moria Goblins could be really powerful because the fight for is really helpful. It's the same idea of the Orcs, but you've got lots of access to things like Cave Trolls to play the role that Shelob would. So the Black Uruks and the Moria Army could be scary. And that's in the books as well. So that's a themed army as well. You can ally them with other things, but once again, most armies have their access to high fight or high strength troops. So you don't, probably don't need to. It's probably going to be for a theme point of view, for a theme reason. Now, changes to this army to make it more effective. Uh, I wouldn't mind some more heroes, some more choice of the heroes. But overall, I think the the... The lack of attacks is a problem. I would almost consider a Goblin Town type chittering, chittering Hordes, I think it is, rule, where you get spear support, but only against models that are the same as them. So the Goblin Town, which are dirt cheap models, can spear support and you, uh, from from models without spears, essentially, just by being next to each other as a normal spearman would, but it doesn't affect non... Uh, what did I say? Mario Goblins? No, it's not Mario Goblins. It's the Goblin Town. So it doesn't affect non-Goblin Town. And I could see that being good for Urukai, making it so it only affects Urukai. If they're next to each other, they can support each other, they can help each other fight out. I think that would be really nice. I think I don't see Spears being that overpowered. And I feel like even if you add an extra point to the profile for it, I think that would be worthwhile addition or change. I don't think it's needed, but it would be nice to bring them into line with the other armies. And I do like the idea that it encourages you to take more of them. So... From a well, I guess that you might see them less if you did that rule because most people wouldn't bother. But I would, I wouldn't mind it. I'd also wouldn't mind some sort of captain rule as well. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe uh, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. Maybe give all the captains a knockdown rule that Shagrat has. I don't know if that's that's good. Maybe charge them extra points for it. That could be interesting because of the lack of cavalry. Either way, maybe give them a shaman. I don't see it being necessary, but you could give them one. Yeah, some changes that, that could be options. I don't think they really need it. It's a tough list to play, but it's not unplayable. It doesn't need to be destroyed. If it has Shelob, it's it's very competitive. If it doesn't have Shelob, it's 
It's okay. It's not great. It, at low levels, even the 550, it's okay because of the numbers. But once you get to a higher level, it, it does have trouble there. So I do, I do think Shiloh will be something that's that's pretty necessary at the higher levels um, or something else, or a ring wraith, I guess. And that's uh, that's enough for this one. I hope that you've got something out of this. Give them a try. The Mordor Urukai are good fun. Proxy them with the Isengard scouts if you want to try it out first. I really like this army. Uh, I like to play a lot with it. I do use it at small points levels as well, um, knowing that it's not particularly competitive. Interesting enough, it's a perfect foil for Numenor because they basically end up being the same models. So when I'm teaching people the games, uh, my go-to is Numenor versus Mordor Urukai. They look very different. You can spot them. It's a classic uh, human versus orc matchup. But they, in terms of like who wins the fight, it's both fight four. Who wounds? They both wound on five pluses. So it doesn't really matter. Um, although the, the Mordor Urukai do love the Numenor Bowmen. But other than that, I feel like it's a good matchup. The Numenorian gets the spears. The Urukai gets slightly better captains and, and get to attack the Bowmen. Good matchup. Good way to, to play a fair game. Well, that's all for now. I will get some more of these episodes out. I'm looking forward to recording them. We will get on to the the, the tale of uh, the Green Dragon Gamers as well. That's been a logistic nightmare, but that's okay. We'll get through that eventually. It just might take a bit longer than we expected. I know that we're all painting feverishly, and, and we have organized some times to play some games, so we will report back on that. We'll get back to it, but in the meantime, I don't think it really matters. We'll, we'll just keep going, and remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.